Well, good morning to all of you on this Sunday after Easter. I'm still recovering from a chest cold. Easter set me back a few days, but I feel the best I felt in about a week. And so if I start to cough during the sermon, please feel as uncomfortable as I feel coughing in front of you. (laughs) But be patient with me and uh, we'll get through this. What a great Easter week we had last week. We started with our Monday, Thursday time of worship, and we had a wonderful reflection of the cross on Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday. What a great day. I want to thank all the people who serve with Nova Hosts and um, the setup and cleanup crew that came early and stayed late cleaning everything up. The audio and the video team, thank you so much. It was right on. The worship team did an excellent, powerful time of music for us, and the choir inspired us. The Easter egg hunt team made the kids happy and wired up and everything. There were about 70 kids, I heard, in Easter egg hunt. And then the Easter buffet lunch team. You guys did an excellent job. Thank you so much for that. And then all of you who cheerfully prepared a double recipe of your best dish or salad or sweet treat. Thank you so much. I heard so many people, especially people who are new to Nova from the, over this last year, they said to me, man, when you said bring your best dish and double or triple the recipe, you weren't kidding. Look at all this great food. And I've heard, I still hear from people saying to me, that was the best Easter buffet um, I've ever been to. And you know what? We call it a potluck, but we're going to stop calling it a potluck because a potluck is where everyone brings something and you just kind of share. What this is, is Nova hosts the best Easter lunch buffet in the South Bay here. And you guys did a fantastic job. And I want to thank you for cheerfully bringing uh, your best dish and then doubling or tripling it. Did you see all the hams that were out there and the piles of fried chicken? And if you didn't get a piece of that smoked tri-tip with chimichurri sauce, you really missed out. And so I, I ran over there and got one uh, before it went away. So thank you so much for all of that. What we're going to be doing over the next two Sundays is we're going to take a deeper look into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one of the questions that we ask often over the last many years, we ask it often, mostly to leaders, but we ask the question, how does your faith in God mature and grow and grow and grow? How does your faith in God grow? In fact, we ask people to um, think about, think in a time in your life that your relationship with God grew by leaps and bounds. Just think back in your life and think through a time in your life that your relationship with God grew by leaps and bounds. And then we ask this, what were the circumstances that surrounded that growth? And inevitably, it, we can just create a list and it'll hit probably about three or four of the same things. 
people will talk about, there was always, I grew so much in my life, at a time in my life, when I had an aspect of my faith, in it, it, it went into action. So my faith in God moved me to action in some way, and then I just grew like crazy during that time. People will talk about, I've had a challenge or a trial in my life, and God was there with me, just holding me up and supporting me, and I grew like crazy during that time. People will talk about, often, they'll talk about, I grew so much when I went to a youth retreat, a summer camp, and God met me there, and things happened. And that's why we take time and we make big commitments to send high schoolers in, in this year middle schoolers for the first time in a long time to Hume Lake for summer camp for about a five-day camp because we know that they're going to grow during that time and that's why we support these kids going to camp. We talk about um, if you had a, a physical issue, a medical problem, or an emotional issue and, and God supported you through that and you grew like crazy. People will often talk about if you went on a missions trip a weekend missions trip, a day missions trip, something where you were, you were out and beyond the four walls of the church and working with people who needed help, and you were in a missions trip, and boy, your faith grew during that time. And others will just say, it was during a time where I really engaged in serving in ministry leadership, and my faith grew. <clears throat> Made me reflect on my life, and I reflected on a time when it was 1984, I was 22 years old, and I was attending a local church, and uh, I was leading a small group, and the small group was, was just doing great, and um, uh, we developed some leadership in that small group, and then we multiplied and had two groups, and then uh, in that group, the new group that I had, we did the same thing, we said, well, that, that worked out really good, and let's do it again, and and so both of those groups developed leadership, and then we multiplied again, and, and we, were just, we were just doing that. And then one of the pastors in the church he pulled me aside and said, Hey, I, I um, want to ask you something. Would you pray about this? He says, Would you start a church? Would you start a church this summer, just in the summer, right on the sand in Hermosa Beach on the south side of Hermosa Pier? Just in the summer. And I said, after praying about it, I said, oh, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'll do it anyways. And God sent worship leaders, and he sent administrators to take care of all the details. He sent um, people to pray for that service. There were people every uh, Sunday morning in that summer praying, just a group of people off to the side praying for us the whole time. He sent set-up people. He sent um, advertising design people whom they made a really nice flyer. And then he sent marketing people. And our marketing people were really great. We made a t-shirt that said Church on the Beach on it. Sunday, 11 o'clock. And they put on their roller skates. And they got stacks of flyers. And they up and down the strand, they would just roller skate and hand out flyers to people. Next Sunday, every Sunday, 11 o'clock, south side of Hermosa Pier, we're going to have church right here. And we had problems, a lot of them. We went to the county. We had to figure out who has jurisdiction over the sand. And we found out that it was the L.A. County of Beaches. And so we went to them and said, 
hey, we'd like to have a church right here on the south side of Hermosa Pier, right in front of the Sea Sprite Motel, if you know where that's at. And they said, well, you're going to need a permit. And so we said, oh, okay, uh, we'd like a permit. And they said, well, we don't issue permits. In fact, no one issued a permit, although we needed a permit. Then we had electricity problems, and we wanted to have amplified sound, but they also told us, your sound can't be past a certain decibel point. We said, okay, we'll stay within that. But we needed electricity, and so we found that out in front of the Sea Sprite there, there's some um, um, units that had like a patio um, out in front, and then they each had an electric, outdoor electric plug. Yep. Five extension cords, and we didn't run them underneath on the strand. We ran them over a pole to the sand, powering two speakers, uh, two microphones, and a little thing by Bob that makes the sound come out of the speakers. And anyways, after that first Sunday, the county or the lifeguards came and said, "You can't do that anymore." And you could have uh, sound, but you can't run electricity that way. And they said, "We said." Can we run it out of the lifeguard? No, no, nothing there. Lifeguard tower, no. And so somebody at the church devised a car battery into a transformer that would power the thing, this and this, and that's what we did. And uh, we had a lot of problems. Um, we had hecklers on the strand all the time. We had problems within the church. Someone after the first Sunday said, you need to make an announcement that these people need to dress appropriately for church. Can you believe that? We never made that announcement. Anyways, um, I grew like crazy during those two summers in 1984 and 85. And God used that growth in my life to plant, to encourage me to plant a church that would eventually merge into another church and become Nova Community Church. And so things like that help us to grow. But we live in a culture here, in a world that does not encourage spiritual growth, ever. Our culture encourages, encourages us to seek personal and financial and material growth and comfort. So let's take a look at our text today. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11. We'll start in verse 32 and go to verse 40. Hebrews is a book written to people who find themselves suffering and in trouble and having problems and ready to give up. And the writer of the book is giving the readers what they need to overcome the brutal realities of their world and their current culture. And today we will learn that if you have it, you can handle anything that life throws at you. So two questions today. What is it? And how do we get it? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 begins this way. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. A classic, famous passage of Scripture. And on the surface, the answer to those questions is faith. It's what the entirety of chapter 11 is really about in the book of Hebrews. And as we look at the grand conclusion of chapter 11, we get a look at the kind of faith that the writer is talking about here. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, 
who through, the, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is God's word today. Today we're going to look at our, our uh, text today and we'll just say this. If you have it, you can overcome anything. And so the first question is, what is it? And I think you would all agree that it's this. It's faith, right? And so you just jot that word right next to number one right there. There is an interpretive key to this text today. And what we find here are two lists. The first list is found in verses 32 through 35. And the second list is found in verses 35 through 38. And there's a radical difference, a division, between the first list and the second list. And we're going to learn from this. The first list is, we'll call them, air quotes, success stories. Okay? The first list is success stories. All the people listed are great examples of faith. They're Weakness was turned to strength. If you read into these people who were named, there were military triumphs and political triumphs. They conquered kingdoms and routed armies. They administered justice. They escaped the sword. If you look at verse 33, right in the middle, there's this phrase here, and it says, they shut the mouths of lions. Now, who is that? Who, in your mind, in the Old Testament, for you, Sunday school people. Who is that? Daniel, right. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, if you remember. And it looked like certain death, but he came out untouched. And then in, in the beginning of verse 34, they quenched the fury of the flames. Who's that? Yeah, those three guys, right? Daniel's friends. In Daniel chapter 3, go back and read that. Um, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were thrown into the fiery furnace, and they came out untouched. And so these are all success stories. Every one of these circumstances of certain death and overwhelming odds, there was an escape from death and suffering. And they called on God, and there was this miraculous intervention. Verse 35, it says, Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Now, this is a reference here. In the Old Testament, there were two women whose sons died, and through the power of God, they were raised back to life again. And this is uh, in 1 Kings and in 2 Kings. In 1 Kings, it's the widow of Zarephath, and through the ministry of Elijah, her son is brought back to life again. Please read these scriptures this week. It's amazing stories. 2 Kings chapter 4, 
is the Shunammite widow. And through the ministry of Elisha, her son was raised back to life again. In our culture, we love these stories, don't we? I mean, we, we, we read about them. We, they make TV news stories about them. You can watch 2020 about all of these things on a Friday night where, you know, some doctor says that you have inoperable terminal cancer and you have, it's aggressive, so you only have one month to live. But you pray and Somewhere in the Netherlands is this doctor who's experimenting on cancer treatments. And he says, the exact cancer that you have, I have a cure for that we're working on. And you think, I have no money. But then an anonymous donor comes through and and provides the money for the medical treatment and for the travel. And so you go there and then you get this treatment. You come back and you're cancer free. And you say, it's a miracle. And we love stories like that. Stories maybe a little more close to home where maybe a friend says, my business is going under and it's looking terrible. But I prayed and I had faith in God and I worked harder and I worked smarter. And through the miracle of God, my business is now profitable. And we love stories like that. If you've been to the movie theaters recently um, and you've, you've, you've maybe seen this movie Um, I'm going to show you a clip from a story that we're sure to love, a true story that happened in 2015. Take a look at this trailer. We love stories like that, don't we? I mean, that's made into a movie. It's in theaters right now. But if our understanding of faith ends with stories, like in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, if that is all your understanding of faith to be, if your only understanding of faith is if you try harder and you believe strong enough, you can overcome anything, if that's your only understanding of faith, I think you're doomed. Because there is a second list here. And the second list is a list of sad stories. It's a list of sad stories in verses 35 through 38. There's a major change in our text, and it begins with the word other. And so if you take your pen and just underline that or put a star next to that in your Bibles or draw a circle around the word others, because there were others who believed, and there were others who had faith, and their lives went in a completely different direction. There were others who trusted God and others who obeyed God, but their stories went in a completely different direction than the ones in the first list. Peter the Apostle belongs in that first list. He was put in jail and the disciples prayed and he was released. He's a first list person. And then there were others. John the Baptist was also jailed. The disciples prayed for him and he never made it out. They chopped off his head. David was just a poor shepherd boy. He gained some acclaim and was hunted down by King Saul. But he triumphed and he ascended to the throne and David wins. But there were others like Jonathan, David's friend. He was the king's son and he had prowess and he had nobility and he had character. And yet because he trusted God and he was faithful to his friend David, he lost everything. Jonathan died a young man in a hopeless battle far from home. 
In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, it says, Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Now, I wonder who the others are. You would think that when you read this, this verse, that the others would be other women. So who were the other women then? The reason that we don't quickly recall who the other women were is because the Hebrew writers and the readers knew about the history of Israel between the Old Testament and the New Testament better than we do. Most scholars believe that these women are a reference to the famous Maccabean martyrs. There's about 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are a number of historical writings during that period that tell us what happened during those years, but most of us modern-day Gentiles don't know much about this intertestamental period. Antiochus Epiphanes was a Syrian king at that time, and he conquered and occupied Israel, and he was brutal. One of the things that he used to do was he used to take prominent families and bring them into the public square and call on them to reject the law of God. And if they didn't, he would torture and kill them in front of everybody. In the book, in the second book of Maccabees, in chapter 7, we read about a woman and her seven sons who are brought out in the public square. And one son after the other was asked, will you disobey the law of God and will you show allegiance to the king? And if he did not, the king would send his soldiers to cut off his tongue and to lop off his limbs and to scalp him and still alive, put him on cast iron pans roasting over an open fire in front of his brothers and his mother. The mother stood there and encouraged her sons to die faithfully. She said, It was not I who gave you life and breath. It was the creator of the world who devised the origin of all things and who in his great mercy will give you life and breath again since you now forget yourselves for his sake. Now, I don't apologize for the gore and the horror because we live such comfortable lives here in the South Bay. We are so often concerned for only our comfort and convenience, and we feel entitled to our personal rights. Most of you know around the globe there are people right now who are a step away from this. Christians and pastors and churches undergoing persecution as we speak. People who are insecure in their centers and their houses of worship as we experienced yesterday in the news in Poway in the synagogue shooting in Sri Lanka last Easter where 250 people were killed and hundreds injured on Easter Sunday in their churches and in their hotels and coordinated suicide bombings by a terrorist group. And we read in Hebrews chapter 11 that some women received their dead sons back, but other women did not. And as torturous as that is to see your son murdered one by one, she believed and had faith 
in verse 35, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Now, why is this a better resurrection? Because we think about the horrific stories of that. And as wonderful as it was for the mothers to get their sons back, you realize that they got their sons back from life, but they were just resuscitations. Even though a dead person came back to life, they were still subject to eventual and ordinary sickness and suffering and death. In other words, that terrible last day on earth has just been put off for a time. And the mother did not put her faith in the possibility of a resuscitation, but in the absolute certainty of a future resurrection. The woman with seven sons, she was thinking, one day we'll get our glorified bodies back. So it's okay. Stay faithful to God. One day we'll get our family back together again. One day we'll get our lives back and our love back in this perfect world back again. My beloved son, put your faith in a better resurrection and don't you dare flinch. And here's the reason why. With a faith in a future resurrection, you can face anything. And we see the example here in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, where they said this, Our God could deliver us from these flames, but even if he does not, we're still not going to worship or serve your stinking gods. It's because of this. Because their faith was not in their agenda for God. Their faith was in God. Their faith wasn't in their agenda for God. Their faith was in God. And I've heard a lot of people say, I prayed and I trusted in God. I prayed for healing and I, I prayed for deliverance. I prayed for a miracle. But he didn't come through. Well, what were you trusting in? Were you trusting in your agenda for God? You are not believing in God. You are believing in your agenda for God. Because a faith that doesn't need temporary success is ultimate success. John Piper, he writes this about the book of Hebrews. He says, The great challenge of the book of Hebrews is to cultivate the unshakable confidence that God himself is better than anything life can give us or that death can take away from us. So, number two. If you have it, you can overcome anything. What is it? It's faith. Number two, where does this unshakable confidence come from? In verses 39 and 40 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The first thing that we see, it's, it's real clear, it's in the first words of verse 39, it was their faith. It was their faith. They were all commended for their faith. It, they were, as we engage ourselves in this sanctification promise, this process of our faith growing, our faith maturing, in, in becoming a disciple that makes disciples, 
How will you exercise the faith that you have so that it'll grow, it'll mature? What's going to happen in your life that your faith will grow? What's, what's happening right now? Is your faith growing? We have all kinds of things that cause our faith to grow. We talked about them in the very beginning, a, a missions trip, serving in, a minis- in ministry leadership, a summer camp, all these things. <clears throat> In the open campaign, our faith has grown, not just by people pledging and, and making financial contributions to a, a renovated campus, but our faith is growing as we welcome people who are different than us. Our faith is growing as we reach out in the community and we look at our neighbors differently. Our faith is growing when we're challenged in that way. I see you loving one another and praying for one another more and more, and your faith is growing because of that. And I see you loving your neighbors more. I mean, we had clearly double the amount of people we'll have on a regular Sunday last Easter because you invited your friends and your neighbors. Garrett Cook, who we'll be hearing from next Sunday, been promoted to the director of local missions so that he's going to help us and he's been working hard looking at avenues and how we could connect with our neighbors more so that your faith will grow so that you'll become a more committed and fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It was their faith that was growing. And the reason these people had this this faith that overcame the world was that they were looking forward to something that didn't happen yet in their life. The second thing is this. I'm sorry, the the third thing is this. The reminder is we have something better. We have something better. In verse 40, it has the audacity, the writer writes, that we have something better. See, these people we read about in the first and the second list, they were on this side of the cross, and then they look at the cross, and, and it was something in their future, but they didn't see it yet. But we're on this other side of the cross, and we look back, and we look back at those people that had this promise that was yet to be fulfilled, but we see the cross. We see the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we have this something better. We have begun to receive what they were looking forward to. We have something that they didn't have That's got to be the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They saw something way in their future. So don't you dare look at these people and say all that they did and and how they were a different kind of people, that we could never have that because we will all be together one day in heaven by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what they faced in verses 36 through 38 with jeers and flogging, and they walked around in sheepskins and goatskins, and they were sawed in two and put to death by stoning, and it's all these horrific things. But the reason these people had this unshakable confidence is that they were not afraid of death. How can you be sure, so sure of a future that you're not afraid of death. Epicurus, the Greek philosopher, said, I could die happy if I was absolutely sure that death was the end. But we're not sure that death is the end. Every religion has stories of the afterlife, but Christianity just doesn't give us stories. It gives us a person in Jesus Christ raised back from, li- raised back from death to life. Last week, 
if you read any of the secular news magazines or, or looked at online articles or secular documentaries, they all concluded that the resurrection of Jesus Christ probably happened. Now, why did they think that? Because there is no historically alternate explanation for the birth of the Christian church that the first Christians saw the risen Christ. And if you don't believe in the resurrection, how do you account for hundreds of people in groups who saw Jesus after the cross? They weren't hallucinating. People don't hallucinate in groups. But they spent the rest of their lives proclaiming the risen Jesus. And some were even murdered because they wouldn't stop talking about it. And thousands of people, Jews and Greeks alike, left their belief systems and left their worldviews. Some left their families. Some sold their possessions so that they can follow the way. So do you have a historically alternate explanation for the start of the Christian church? And why would Jesus show up in his glorified body with wounds in it still? Why would he show up in this glorified body that still had wounds in it, had scars in it, and he showed them to the disciples? Remember, you got to remember this. When the disciples saw Jesus and they watched his hands and his feet being pinned to the cross with stakes, and they watched a spear penetrate his side, something was devastated in their life at that point. Something melted down. Something was destroyed in the disciples when they saw that happening. And they ran away and they escaped and they abandoned Jesus. Why is that? Because they never actually believed in Jesus. They just believed in their agenda for him. The nails and the spear destroyed their agenda. Their agenda for Jesus was that he was going to rise one day and be this king over a kingdom. And they would get choice Positions in the king's cabinet. And if you believe in the risen Christ, you can shift your faith from your agenda for God to Jesus Christ alone. And when the difficult and tragic and traumatic and heartbreaking circumstances in your life happen and you have no idea what's going on, remember that crucifixion scene. Jesus dying on the cross. The disciples thought it was ruining their life, but it was actually saving their souls. And Jesus would say, embrace me, and your death will lead to a resurrection, and your every failure will be redeemed. Embrace me, and your every sorrow and sadness will transform into joy and success. Through the resurrection, every one of your sorrows And failures will make your eventual resurrection even better. Jesus said these words in John chapter 16. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen.